Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you here again. My name is Dion Garrett. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So glad that you're joining us here today, whether you're in the room or you're joining us online. We want to welcome you. And uh, this has been an extraordinary weekend for us here at St. John. Um, we're in the middle of our Christmas production also, The Sounds of Christmas, uh, which you've heard us talk about a little bit about. If you've missed Sounds of Christmas, I just have to say you need to come. There's two opportunities for you to do that today at 3 and 6. I'll talk more about that later. Uh, but you're, you're missing out on it because it's been a, an incredible weekend, and I think it'll just set your heart right for Christmas. Um, but it's also been kind of a, a different weekend weather-wise, which is why what I'm about to talk about might feel a little awkward to you because today I want to talk about winter on a weekend when it feels nothing like winter, I realize. Uh, but just beware, within a few weeks' time, we are going to be in the middle of bitter cold, of a desolate landscape. We're going to be in the middle of winter. Now, I know for most of us, when we think about winter, we romanticize winter in our mind. You know, when we think about winter, it looks something like uh, that up, up on the screen behind me. Um, the reality, though, when we're in the middle of winter, is that winter looks a lot more like this, <laughs> right? Um, that's what winter will actually be like within a few, a few weeks. Uh, even here in St. Louis, now that's that looks like, you know, my life growing up in Michigan. But uh, even in St. Louis where the winter is shorter, I would still say that winter is my least favorite season of the year. Even when I compare it to our hot, humid, sticky summers here sometimes, winter is still the worst. Anyone with me? Anyone? Yeah, a few people. All right. All right. We, you're with me. But honestly, what I want to talk about today is not this kind of winter. I, I want to talk today about life's other winters, which are even more unbearable for me. I don't know if you know what I mean, but um, I'll explain it this way. This weekend, or this week, last week, um, on Monday, we held a uh, funeral here for a 16-year-old student who died in a car accident, tragically. And uh, last Monday, our, our sanctuary was full with um, kids and family members who were, who were mourning the loss of uh, Andy Keithley. And uh, just, just so tragic. And um, Andy was buried back in our cemetery in the back of our campus, and I was out there with the family for the committal. And it was after everyone had gone away for the most part, and there was just immediate family who was hanging out there trying to say their, their goodbyes. And uh, I was out there with them, and so I had a moment of quiet just standing out there to reflect. And, man, it just, it just hit me so heavy while I was there with them that this family is entering into such a cold, cold winter. See, maybe you've experienced the winter of grief in your life. Or maybe you've experienced another kind of winter. Maybe it's when your health is uncertain or when you've got a diagnosis, when you're fighting cancer, when you're in the middle of treatment. Maybe for you, you've experienced the winter of being in between jobs or needing a better job in order to provide for yourself or your family. Or maybe you've experienced life when, when money is tight or worse than being tight, when there is no money. I mean, it'd be nice if you had money because then it could be tight, but it's, you don't have any and you're digging through couch cushions and looking through old coats and purses and bags to try to find money for the staples in life. Uh, growing up in Michigan, uh, again, we had these, uh, these uh, bottle deposits, 10 cents per bottle. And, you know, when you're down on your luck, you could at least take bottles back to the store. And I lived through some of that. Or, or big for me, what about when a relationship is strained? Do you know that kind of winter? When a relationship in your life is, is strained, when you're just not connecting with someone who matters to you, for me, that's one of the worst. Or when someone you love is hurting and you don't have the power or the ability to make it okay for them, that can be a long, cold winter. 
Or sometimes you don't, even, you don't even know why it's winter because when you do the math in your life and you add it all up, things should be fine and yet you still feel like you're in the middle of winter. Now I realize that some of you in the room today, you actually like winter. You enjoy it. And so this whole metaphor, you object to it, you know, because winter is a good time of year for you. And if that's you, that's okay. You can call it whatever you want. You can name it whatever you want. But since I'm the guy with the microphone, I'm calling it winter, okay? But you call it whatever you want. Because I think we've also experienced this in the middle of, of a cold winter. And tell me you haven't experienced this. Sometimes God will send a warm breeze. He'll give you a, a moment of warmth that can refresh your weary spirit, even in the middle of winter. Sometimes it can be a memory of, of something that happened long ago that, that's just enough to refresh you in your winter. Or sometimes it can be uh, something in the future, a glimpse of the future, the knowledge that life won't always be this way, that better days are coming. That can be enough to refresh you. Sometimes it's a moment of levity. You know, I, I love those moments when, when even when you're mourning or you're grieving and, and someone will make a joke and then you laugh and it feels so good to laugh. Or sometimes that moment, it's, it's unclear exactly what it is. It's here one minute and it's gone the next, but it leaves you different. It leaves you feeling refreshed. Now, now the British author and theologian C.S. Lewis, he wrote about this and he called it joy. And he realized he was using that word joy in an unconventional way, but, but he talked a lot about how joy is different from happiness, how joy is different from the feeling that we get from being comfortable. He talked about how joy is different than pleasure even. Uh, look at how he described it. This is actually in a letter that they found a few years ago, tucked in a book that someone bought at a secondhand store. It was a letter C.S. Lewis wrote to a friend, and he's referring to joy here. He says, It jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless at nights. It shocks one awake when the other puts one to sleep. And he's comparing here the difference between joy and and pleasure. So he says, joy shocks one awake when, when the other pleasure puts one to sleep. And he says, one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. See, I love the picture he gives of, of joy, this thing that comes and visits you, if only for a moment, but it leaves you forever changed. It leaves you wanting more, but it ultimately leaves you refreshed. See, whether you agree with C.S. Lewis's definition of joy or not, I know you've experienced this. Those moments where you are refreshed by joy. I know you've experienced the refreshment of joy, even if it was only for a moment, even if it's in the middle of the cold of winter. Now, a few weeks ago, when we started this series, we started off with the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and I told you a little bit about Isaiah and the world that he was living in. He was living in a time where the people of Israel, they had, they had become corrupt and violent and as a result, God said, hey, I'm going to remove my protection, my covering from you. And that may seem like an unloving thing to do, but God still loved Israel in spite of their violence. But it would not be right or just or good of God to protect and to enable a people who had become corrupt and violent to keep on being that way. So God said, I'm going to remove my protection from you. And as a result of that, Israel was being oppressed by foreign enemies and they were about to be defeated and uh, annihilated and carried off into captivity. It was bad for them. So, so Isaiah's writing in the middle of a winter, so to speak. And as he's writing, 
he speaks some, some words that I think we need to hear today, whether we're in the middle of a winter or not. They come from Isaiah chapter 35, starting at verse 1. Let's take a look. He says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. So, so again, if, if, if you can just put yourself there in Isaiah's world, I can imagine the people reading Isaiah's words or hearing his words nodding and saying, that's exactly what it's like right now. We're living in a desert land. We're living in a wasteland. This is a wilderness. See, they don't call it winter, but they call it all of these things because what they're experiencing is brutal and it's harsh and it's lifeless and it's emptying. And yet what Isaiah says to them is he says, the desert and the parched land that we're now living in, it will be glad. And the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. He goes on, and and he has some great metaphors here. He says, like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Now, I don't know anything about plants or horticulture, but there's one thing I know really well, and that's Google. So I looked this up. The crocus, what is, what is, what's this about the crocus? And the crocus, and some of you know this, the crocus is one of the, the plants, one of the flowers that flowers earliest. In fact, the crocus will come up through the snow itself. It's a sign that spring is coming in the middle of winter. So Isaiah says, like the crocus, it will burst into bloom what God is about to do. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. He says, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel, or Carmel, and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So he names three places here, Lebanon, Carmel, Sharon. Lebanon was, was a dense forest place. It's where you got all your cedars and your big trees. So maybe you've been to places like that, places of old growth forests. And you know the majesty of that. Carmel, or, or Carmel was this, uh, this, this range of big hills or small mountains. I mean, who doesn't love mountains? And Sharon was on the coastal plain, so overlooking the, the coast of the Mediterranean. So, so you're living in a desert, you're living in a wasteland now. Isaiah says a day is coming, and he's referring to the day that Jesus would come, where God will begin to restore the people, where God will begin to take this wasteland, this desert that they're living in, and he will make it beautiful again, like old growth forests, like, like the mountains, like the coastal plain. So he paints this picture for them, and he says, Hey, it's not always going to be like this. And, and as a result, look at his words. He says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So in this moment, Isaiah is refreshing them with a glimpse of something else. He's saying, I know you're weary. I know your knees are weak. I know your heart is fearful, but steady yourself. Steady your knees. Say to your heart, don't be afraid because God will come. He will come to save you. And then he continues, talks about the future again. He says, then in that day will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. In that day, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. What a great reversal. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Isaiah says, I know it's winter now. I know. But a day is coming when God will do something marvelous and he will change all of this. Spring will come again. Now, if you're anything like 
me, and I imagine if Israel, the people who were receiving this originally, if they're anything like us, the reaction to these words is, okay, let's get this party started then, right? I mean, come on, let's do this. But Isaiah's message is so clear. It's, it's yeah, this is coming, but not now. It's coming, but not today. See, the first truth we need to understand today, and I've got two truths for you. The first truth is this, that winter is a necessary season. See, winter is a necessary season. There are things that God can only do in the winter. There are things that God wants to accomplish in your life that can't happen in any other season of the year. They must take place in the winter. Now, I think this is hard for us to to buy into. It's hard for us to grab onto because we're now living in a world that is so detached from seasons. I mean, we experience the seasons. We may change our wardrobes as the season changes, but, but really the seasons are meaningless to us. But there was a time, I mean, for most of human history, there was a time when different seasons out there meant a different season in my life. I mean, you can think about farmers who, who are still uh, dependent on seasons. You know, in the spring, that's the time to get the soil ready and to plant. And then the summer is the time to cultivate and nourish, and and the fall is the time to harvest. And then the winter, the winter is a time where you mend your equipment, where you let the land rest, where you yourself as the farmer rest. See, but we've moved away from seasons as we've shifted away from, from working in the earth as our living and as technology has become a way of life for us. And now life is different. We don't really pay attention to the seasons, really. So we've got these fancy, fancy uh, HVAC systems now, right, in our cars, in our houses. So we can keep the temperature the exact same no matter what season it is outside. I mean, fess up. How many of you actually turned on your air conditioning yesterday because it's just a little too warm for you, right? And we're living in a world where we've got this global grocery infrastructure, where even, even the foods of the season, we don't have to eat the foods of the season. We can have strawberries in winter if we want. And I, I think about this sometimes, that bananas, which are a tropical fruit, that you can eat bananas in the coldest part of our world for about 19 cents a pound. It's a miracle. I mean, how does this happen? You know, it used to be that the reason you ate pumpkin pies or pecan pies around Thanksgiving and Christmas is because that's all you had to make a pie with. And now we just sort of do it out of tradition because we've got food available to us all year long. And and so instead of balancing, you know, the sweet and luscious fruits of spring and summer with the hearty and savory foods of fall, you know, the roots and the squashes and the tubers, we, we now can eat whatever we want all year long. We're not bound by seasons anymore. And I think that's not only bad for our health or our diet, I think that's bad for our sense of expectation about what life will be like. And don't even get me started on you snowbirds, you unnatural creatures. You, you just chase the perfect weather wherever you go. And for those of us who are still working, even in our work life, we've evened out the seasons, right? It used to be that in the summer you had long days and you'd work harder and you'd work longer. But in the winter, the days were short and so you could only work so long, but now what do our work days look like? They, they look the same, don't they? It doesn't matter what season it is. We work the same. We work too much. We're underrested. We're chronically overworked. And there's never a season where we, where we step back, where we change gears, or where we have time to catch up. 
See, I think the loss of seasons in our high-tech modern world, I think it's, I think it's hurting us in a lot of ways. But, but here's where I think it's hurting us significantly today. That it's making those winters that we experience in life, it's making them feel especially intolerable. Because why should anyone have to go through winter nowadays? Why can't it be spring now? Why can't it be spring always? Why can't it always be good? See, in Isaiah's time, people understood that winter just had to happen and that there were things that only could happen in the winter. And so even though they didn't like it, I think there was this understanding that, that winter is a time for, for thoughtfulness and for introspection. Winter was a time for soul-searching and repentance. Winter was a time of formation. But I want you to know, just because we're detached from the seasons, that doesn't mean winter has changed for us. Those winters we experience in life, they're the same. See, the the writer in Ecclesiastes was so wise as he exclaimed this. He said, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And uh, this is a well-known scripture. In fact, there was a song made about it, you know, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. And then in Ecclesiastes, it goes on and it names all these different seasons. A time to to be born, a time to die, a time to grieve, a time for joy. You know, like, there's a time for everything. But we read that. And, and we say, man, I, I just want my life to be this column, though, of all of the good things, of all of the easy things. But the truth is, winter is necessary for us. There are things that God wants to accomplish in you, things that you need accomplished for your growth that can only be accomplished in the winter. So that's the first truth that you need to take hold of today, that winter is a necessary season. Here's the second one. But even in winter, you can have joy. See, the idea that winter is all sorrow and emptiness, that's not true. In winter, you can have joy. I think sometimes it is, it is the cold of winter, it is the low of winter that actually helps us experience the warmth and the joy of spring or summer. But even more than that, here's what I'm discovering in my life. That if you really want to know joy, and again, go back to C.S. Lewis for a minute. If we're not talking about comfort or happiness or pleasure... Those things are close and they're good and there are seasons for those things as well. But if you really want to know joy, I'm beginning to to believe that you can only really know joy in the winter. That it takes the winter to get rid of all of those other things like comfort and happiness and pleasure. And it's only in winter that we can sometimes discover the refreshment of joy. See, as I was working on this message this week, I started thinking about my own life. And uh, my mind came back to a, a winter I experienced 12 years ago. It was literally a winter, uh, but it was also a metaphorical winter. Uh, 12 years ago, I was finishing seminary, and I was married to Jocelyn, and we had our daughter, Eliana. She was, an, she was an infant at the time. And we were never intending to have kids while we were in seminary, but God had other plans for us. And, and so we had Ellie there, and that put some strain on us financially and just uh, life-wise. And so we are there for our last year of seminary. And so we, uh, we rented the upstairs of a house. Um, and uh, it was a house that this old lady lived in. It was not really two apartments. It was kind of makeshift two apartments. Uh, but we lived there because it was the cheapest place we could find. It was close to seminary. And we thought, this is a year we can do this. Uh, in fact, my parents are, are sitting down here today and they helped us move in and they helped us fix up the place a little bit. And we made it a little more livable, but it was still not great. And so we were living there. And we thought we can do this. Uh, a couple of months in, about two months into our time there, the lady who owned the house died. 
And her, uh, her kids didn't want the house. They lived out of state. So they quickly sold it to a property company who wanted to, to rehab the house and turn it into a rental property. Well, they let us stay upstairs while they began working on the main floor. And as they began working on the main floor of this house, the first thing that happened was that they disturbed the dozens of mice that lived in the house. And of course, there was no one else living in the house, so we had to deal with them. And, and I literally remember these days um, where we, we set mousetraps all over, especially in our kitchen, and uh, we would turn off the lights, and we'd go to bed, and we would lay down. And the moment we laid down, we'd start hearing the trap snap. Night after, I mean, it makes me twitch still today. I mean, <laughs> night after night, that's what we heard. And, and we were just like so grossed out by that. And then the house was, the house was really old and um, it had one furnace, you know, down at the lower level and one thermostat for the whole house, just all shared heat. And so there wasn't great insulation. It was kind of, you know, one of those attic style uh, apartments. And, um, and so it was cold enough as it was in the house. But then these workmen would come in during the day, and they didn't realize anyone was living upstairs. So they would just turn the heat off, they'd prop the doors, and we would come home from being out, and the house would be freezing, and it would take forever for it to get even sort of warm. I remember having a ceramic heater in our our, uh, living room area, and I don't think you're supposed to do this, I think it's a fire hazard, but I remember wrapping a blanket around myself in the morning and putting the heater under there and just trying to get warm. It was a winter where our daughter Eliana, again, she was an infant, where she was chronically sick. She had, uh, she had rotavirus and all different kinds of stomach things and head things, and, and she was sick that whole winter. And, and so we as a family, we were cold, and we were tired, and we were broke. But I think it was that winter that I really learned about a deeper kind of joy. See, uh, since the house was so cold, it was almost the same temperature inside as outside. So we just decided to take a lot of walks. So at least we could experience the sunshine. And so in that winter, we'd bundle up. We'd put Ellie in a snowsuit. We'd go out the stroller. And we'd just walk the neighborhoods. And I remember just being out of that house. I remember how good it felt. I remember the relief and the refreshment of just being in the sun. I also remember as Joss and I would talk and we'd talk about how how difficult life was and we'd try to find perspective, but we'd also talk about how we knew this was only for a short time and that things would be better. And I remember how that would refresh us. I remember even though we didn't have a lot of money, um, every once in a while someone would give us a gift card or someone would, you know, give us some extra money. And and, uh, so a few times a year we'd go out to eat. And I remember how, what what an experience that was to go out to eat, to, to eat something that someone else cooked that didn't come out of a box that said hamburger helper, right? Um, to have someone else clean up. I just remember how joy-filled those times were at a meal. I never experienced, experienced that eating out anymore. But we did then. And probably best of all, we had some good friends that we knew even from college who were there with us that year. And uh, we spent a lot of time with them that year. And the difficulty of our circumstances, I'm convinced of this, the difficulty of our circumstances made the companionship and the laughter that we shared that much more rich, that much more meaningful, that much more refreshing. See, it took that winter 12 years ago to teach me something profound about joy. How joy can come in, as C.S. Lewis said, and how it can, it can lift you in the middle of winter. And even though it may be fleeting and it, and it leaves you, because true joy can't be found here in this world, it, it belongs to another place, even so, it can lift you to face another day in the middle of winter. Now, just because I learned that lesson 12 years ago doesn't mean I now practice it well and do it often. 
See, every time I come into a new winter of life, I've got to struggle through this again. I've got to relearn this. And so today, if you're anything like me, I want to share with you three ways that you can find joy even in the winter. And the first is so simple, but it's powerful. The first way is to believe that spring will come again. See, here's what I know. If you're in the middle of a winter today, if you've ever been in the middle of one, it feels like it's going on forever. It feels like spring will never come, but spring will come again. In fact, spring always comes. It's, it's a part of how God has engineered the planet. It's a part of the rhythm of life. Even though you may be in a, a valley today, it will not be like this forever. And sometimes, sometimes, just saying that to your spirit is all you need to discover joy. Just to remember, it will not be like this forever. Spring will come again. I love what the psalmist says very similar to what I just said. It says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Gosh, I remember those nights when, when you have a sick kid and, and you're stressed out and, and you're afraid for them and everything seems so heavy and life seems so unmanageable, but, but in the morning everything looks different, doesn't it? See, the scriptures are promised to us that, that winter won't last forever. And so again, just sometimes acknowledging that to your heart is enough. I remember back at 9-11, September 11th, those of you who lived through that or remember it, I remember thinking, the world will never be the same. And, and you know what? It isn't. But it's not in the way that I thought. See, I thought the world would never be the same. And I thought that meant that I would never have joy again. I thought that I would never have uh, moments of, of, of you know, lightheartedness or laughter, that I would never feel safe again. But here's what I discovered. It took a while But I found all those things again, and so did you. See, it won't be winter forever. Spring will always return. And in fact, if you're going through a winter right now, no matter what it is, uh, you know, maybe it's it's grief. Maybe it's some kind of frustration. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's, it's financial stress. Maybe it's health problems. Whatever that winter is, say to your spirit right now, This won't last forever. Spring is coming. In fact, say that with me out loud right now. Say spring is coming. Spring is coming. Say it again. Spring is coming. It is. It always does. And you know what? If you're in Christ, this is even truer for you. Because even those winters that that plague us, even those struggles that, that, that never seem to leave us alone, we are promised if we are in Christ that someday when we are in the presence of Christ, those things can't find us there anymore. That winter can't chase us there into his presence. See, if you're in Christ, this is even truer for you. That spring will always come again. And sometimes just saying that to yourself is enough. The second thing that I'd encourage you to do is to search for glimpses of joy. See, joy can be found in your everyday living. In the middle of winter, it can be found I think the problem is that we don't look for it, and then when we look for it, sometimes we're afraid to grab hold of it. You know, on those, those cold winter days when, especially here in St. Louis, you, you get a warm one, you get the sun shining. What we should do on those days is we should go out and bask in the sun, let, let it hit our faces for as long as it can, but so often what, we don't do that. And I think the reason we don't do that in life is because we're afraid of what's going to happen when that moment is gone. Author Brene Brown, she calls this foreboding joy. And I think we've all experienced this. A moment when, when joy is coming at you and, and, and you see it and you could grab a hold of it, but instead you don't because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
See, I think sometimes in my life, I imagine that, that if I'm going through a hard season, if I let myself see and grab a hold of joy, that when it leaves again, because it always seems to leave, that I'm going to be the worst for it. But you know what? That's not true. The truth is that, that joy, if you take hold of it, will always leave you better off than you were, even if it's only there for a short time. And so as a result of this, I've begun praying. You know, on those days, uh, you know, I, before I go to bed at night, I, I look at my calendar for the next day, make sure I'm, I'm set, I know what I'm doing. And there's some days I look at my calendar and I'm just going, oh my gosh, what a joyless, heavy, busy, responsibility-filled day. And now what I'm trying to do in those days is, is after I have that thought, I, I pray a prayer and I just say, God, even though tomorrow is full, even though it's heavy, help me find joy in it. See, if you search for those glimpses of joy, they're there. And when you see them, grab a hold of them because you will be the better for it, even if they leave you quickly. And then the third thing that you can do to find joy even in the winter is to borrow from the true source of joy. There's a scripture that I think a lot of us have probably heard before. It's even been a, a line in songs. It's, it says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, forever when I heard that scripture, when I read it, this is how it sounded to me. That when you're going through a hard time, when you're weak, when you're in the middle of winter, what you need to do is you need to make yourself be joyful about God and his love for you. You need, to be, you need to find joy in what he's done. So you need to conjure up joy in yourself by thinking about God, thinking about what Jesus has done for us on a cross, thinking about you know, the gift of Christmas in Jesus, and, and, and that if you can find that joy, then you'll have strength for whatever you're facing. This week as I read the scripture again, it hit me differently. I, I think what I just described is true, by the way, but I think, I think what God brought out of it to me, I, I believe it was God-inspired, um, is also true. See, this week when I read the scripture, I didn't hear it as, hey, Dan, you, you got to find joy in your relationship with God. What I heard this saying is, you know what? When you are bankrupt on joy, when joy is not to be found in your life, you can borrow it. See, the Lord is joy personified. He doesn't just have joy, but he is joy. His storehouses overflow with joy. And so when I'm lacking joy, when I can't find joy, when I can't conjure joy within myself, you know what I can do? I can borrow it from him. See, the joy that belongs to him, the joy of the Lord, his joy, I can borrow that and it can become my strength in the middle of winter. To put it another way, Jesus once said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you'll produce much fruit. I mean, think about that metaphor for a second. He is the trunk of the tree and we are the limbs. And Jesus says, you know what? In me is joy. And if you're connected to me, even if it's winter, even if there's no joy for you to, to find on your own, I can give you joy. See, I think this is the difference between being people who, who like, you know, mentally profess that there is a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the people who know what it is to be connected in a relationship with a living God. Because when you're connected in a relationship with the living God, you can ask him to give to you what he has, and he will. He can feed you with joy. He can, he can lend you joy, and you don't even have to repay it. It's a gift in those moments when life is heavy. See, that's what I'm finding about my relationship with Jesus. And, and I, it's not perfect all the time, but when I can turn to him, when I can ask him for what he has, he always finds a way to give it to me. 
I don't know if you know a person like that in your life, a person who, when you're with them, no matter how heavy you are, no matter how sad you are, they have a way of just lifting you. They can make you laugh. They can make you smile no matter what you're going through. See, that's what Jesus, the one that Isaiah promised, that's what he can give. He is the spring in the middle of the wasteland. He is the one who turns the desert into an oasis. It's the person of Jesus. And when you are absolutely out of joy, I think the worst thing you could do is just try to conjure it. It just doesn't work that way. But you can borrow it. And because he loves you, he's glad to give it to you. See, winter isn't all that bad. In winter, God has a purpose. It's, it's necessary. That was truth number one. And, and the second truth is, even in winter, you can have joy. So, so here's what I'd say to you today. Should you happen to find yourself in the middle of winter, should that be your case today, just know that even though it's difficult, it's a great time to discover the refreshment of joy. Let me pray for you.